Imagine if your boss gave you the license to be wrong 20% of the time. Wow. That's exactly what Andy Bromberg does as CEO. You know, when you make a mistake and someone comes to you, maybe they're a little heated in the moment, they're frustrated, they come and they say, Ken, why'd you do that? That was the wrong thing to do. It doesn't make any sense. You can say, hey, I was being 20% wrong. Hi, I'm Irene Silber with the Vanguard Network. Andy Bromberg is the founder and CEO of ECO. ECO is a high-tech financial services firm that wants to revolutionize the way we do banking. And Bromberg believes his company will only be able to do that if his employees are willing to make mistakes. Bromberg talked with former public TV journalist Ken Stone at a recent Vanguard Dialogue. ECO is an all-in-one simple balance for your entire financial life. So it's meant to replace your bank with something better. The reality is, if you're anything like me, you've got a dozen financial apps on your phone. You've got your bank and two credit cards and Cash App and Venmo and Robinhood and Coinbase and a budgeting app. You've got all of these products on your phone. It's a pain to keep track of. You don't know where your money is. It takes a while to transfer between these different places, and it doesn't have to be that way. So what ECO is trying to build is one simple balance for your whole financial life, integrating all of those functions into one really simple, easy place where your money is always compounding and earning market-leading rewards. And that is also the wedge into our belief about the future of what loyalty should look like and what reward system should look like. So we also have this system called EcoPoints, which is our experiment in an open rewards currency and trying to build out a truly open uh, you know, loyalty and rewards system. And that's where, where we think the future is going. Now, if you think about it, United Airlines, this headline came out a, a year or so ago, United Airlines mileage plus business was worth more than United Airlines itself. Their loyalty program business was worth more than the actual airline that carries people from point A to point B. Starbucks's loyalty system, uh, you know, by some measures would be an extremely large bank, something like the 30-something largest bank in the world, if it was a bank and not a loyalty system. And what we're betting on is the success of this, uh, this loyalty system, the success of this reward system. Um, and our business model is wrapped up in that as opposed to being wrapped up in taking fees off of users' financial transactions every day. Let's talk a little bit about the culture of your company. Uh, one of the things I was struck by was the hell yes culture. Explain to me what that is. Yeah, we have a principle at ECO uh, that we talk about a lot and everyone's very familiar with. And that principle is what we call hell yes or no. And what that means for us is that it, when you ask a question about something, the only acceptable answers are either hell yes or no. The simplest case where this comes up most frequently is when we're interviewing candidates, when we're hiring people. And we have this hell yes bar. We have to be pounding the table saying we have to hire this person. Probably everyone listening to this has been in this situation before where you're debriefing on a candidate. You've got the interview panel in the room. You all are talking about a candidate. And the question comes up, should we hire this person? And everyone around the room says, yeah, yeah, they were great. We should maybe, you know, we should hire them. I don't know. Ken, what do you think? Yeah, sure, we should hire them. And no one is actually emphatically saying we got to hire this person. Everyone's just kind of saying they were good. I like them. We need to fill the role. You know, we might as well hire them. At Eco, that's a no, because that is not a hell yes. That is a that is a yes, but it's not a hell yes. And so we do not hire those people. It's really painful in those situations when we end up in those debriefs and everyone kind of likes the candidate, but not enough to pound the table. Um, and we don't we don't hire them. And what I think is really important in this hell yes or no standard is that some people hear it and the first thing their mind jumps to is perfectionism, right? If we're applying a hell yes standard to our work, a hell yes standard to hiring, 
are we being perfectionists and saying, you know, we must, everything must be perfect for us to, to take this action? And the answer to that is no. Hell yes is not about perfectionism. It is about conviction. So you can have conviction in something imperfect and be pounding the table and saying, we got to do it this way. We got to hire this person. We got to put out this piece of work. And that is what we're looking for at Ego. And that results in a really high bar for everything, for talent, for performance, for work product, all of those things. And I think that's one of the things that makes Ego a really special place, at least to me. Let's talk about the 20% rule. Yeah. So we have this other value at Eco. Um, what we say what we say often is be 20% wrong. And what be 20% wrong means at Eco is that you should accept and expect that from your perspective, your colleagues are going to do things wrong 20% of the time. And from your colleagues' perspective, you are going to do things wrong 20% of the time. And that is okay. And this can come up for a couple of different reasons. One of them is we simply want to enable people to act autonomously and drive forward and make decisions that they believe are the correct decision. And we think that building consensus and getting buy-in and running things up the stack makes a lot of sense for some decisions, but not every decision. And sometimes the cost of going and building consensus on a decision is actually much higher than the cost of just making the decision and getting it wrong. You know, when you make a mistake, and someone comes to you, maybe they're a little heated in the moment, they're frustrated, they come and they say, Ken, why'd you do that? That was the wrong thing to do. It doesn't make any sense. You can say, hey, I was being 20% wrong. And instantly, the person's reminded of our company value of people ex exercising autonomy, making decisions, moving forward and executing. And you say, oh, okay, that's fine. That makes sense. Maybe don't do it again. That was a mistake. You shouldn't do that. But at least we're aligned that that was part of you know, what, what we actually want at the company as part of our, our company values. And it's, it's really empowering for people to, to feel that knowledge that they're being trusted to go and make decisions and be wrong sometimes. Let's talk a little bit about some early lessons as a CEO. I mean, if I remember correctly, you actually left Stanford for a bit because you were given some money by investors uh, to create and run a company. Uh, talk about the Andy then and the Andy now. Uh, how is that CEO different? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> lots of ways. And uh, e even Andy a year ago versus Andy now, I think continues to uh, evolve. And I hope that hope that continues forever. The number one biggest, if I'd call it a single highest leverage learning that I had from the earliest days of my first business to today, uh, it basically manifests in that hell yes standard for hiring. I think in my first company, I succumbed to the pressures of needing to hire. And saying I needed, I need to fill these roles. I got to find someone, and I settled in some cases making hires that were not hell yes hires. They weren't. It wasn't like I made a terrible decision and you know picked up someone that was that was going to absolutely fail in their role, but not quite hell yes level hires. Um, and when you start to have that happen, it creates a little bit of a spiral where uh, that begets more and more of the same, and it makes it really hard to execute on ambitious goals. And I think I just didn't put enough stock into, you know, hiring hell yes talent. And, you know, one of the things that I, I often tell new young founders who are starting their first company is what you're going to learn is that every business cliche is actually true, but you just won't actually know that it's true until you feel it. And so, you know, the idea of talent is everything. Everyone says that everyone kind of knows that, but until you've experienced 
building out a team that didn't have a super high talent bar and realizing, oh, this is actually really causing issues and then building out a team with a super high talent bar and seeing what that team is capable of. Uh, it's hard to really internalize the lesson until you've until you've lived through it. I saw a quote from you talking about that when it comes to the financial system, it's helpful to have a beginner's mind. What do you mean? The idea of a beginner's mind is just to suggest that if you approach things from first principles and a willingness to reconsider things from the ground up is if you know something with real curiosity about why things are the way they are today and what they could be without being too stuck in your ways, that's where opportunities for innovation arise. Um, and I think the reality is that the financial system today, first of all, is capable of some incredible feats. I mean, the world today as we know it is, is incredible and largely enabled by a global financial system. But at the same time, when you have something that massive and that sprawling, there is enormous inertia in that reality. And the financial system has inertia. The technology changes very slowly. The ways of doing business change very slowly. And that's that's okay. You know, there's there's upsides to uh, to slow change, but I also think there's upsides to really looking for the opportunities to say, okay, if we were approaching this from ground zero, if we were saying we're going to build this up from nothing, how would we build this financial system? And so to go back to eco as a business, people feel a lot of inertia. People don't think about the fact that they have a dozen financial apps on their phone and it takes three days to move money between them and they can't keep track of their money. That's just a reality of life today. You're used to it. But if you come to that with a beginner's mind and you say, well, how should financial products work? How should I be able to manage my money? What should that look like? You might actually come up with a very different approach, which might be, oh, what if there was just one place for my whole financial life? And that's the sort of thing that can only be achieved if you break out of the mindset of, of inertia. But it seems to me that you have two challenges here. One is the technological challenge, you know, creating these methods, better methods for handling our money. But uh, the biggest inertia, I have to think, is the consumer. People hate their banks, but they never leave their bank. They stay there year after year after year. You're exactly right. That's a, we could have a six hour conversation on, on how we think about consumer psychology and how we change people's behavior. But I'll give you just a couple highlights because I do think this is really one of the great, great challenges for us. And you're exactly right. We've ran surveys, we have the data, people don't leave their banks. Pretty much everyone is using the same bank that they either first set up, that their parents set up for them when they were a kid, or that they set up when they got to college, or maybe that they set up when they got their first mortgage. But other than that, you don't ever change banks. That's it. That's all, all you ever have. So going out and saying, we have higher savings rewards, we have higher spending rewards, things like that, that's not enough to really hook people. Because it doesn't make enough of a difference to them. It doesn't help them get over their inertia. But when you point out an emotional pain point that people have, like saying, isn't it a nightmare that you have a dozen financial apps in your phone and you don't know how much money is in each one of them? And when someone sends you money on Venmo, it takes you three days to withdraw it to your bank account. You have to go in and do it manually, all these things. Then people say, okay, I'm interested. I'm not converted yet, but at least I'm interested in hearing more. And then what Eco does that's really unique in the consumer financial product space is that every single person who signs up for Eco has an opportunity to have a one-on-one -on -one onboarding session with an onboarding specialist at Eco, with a real human being. And that real human being has a conversation with you, talks about your financial life, your financial goals, talks about how the financial system works today and doesn't work, and walks you through why Eco might be a more compelling solution. And what we found is that that interaction is what can get people over the activation energy 
of switching from their bank, it's really interesting. If you look at the consumer financial product landscape today, there's none of that. There's no humanity. There's no human interaction. Everyone's moved to as automated systems as possible. But again, coming at this from a beginner's mind, from a first principles mindset, the idea of opening a financial account without having spoken to a human being, and we believe that that should still exist and that that trust building and relationship building is critical. Um, and so, you know, scaling that and operationalizing that is a challenge for us and something that that we're getting good at. But um, but I do believe that that's the best way to get people over that inertial hump and do something different. Do you have a sense, a timeline for how long uh, that's going to take? I mean, obviously, there have been early adopters, and I, I'm thinking of people who jumped onto Bitcoin, for instance, another cyber currency. How long is it going to take for the majority of people to say, hell yes, I want I want a different system? I think it, it'll take a long time. These things happen in phases, and people will move across that spectrum at different paces. Some people are ready to jump all the way to the newest possible technology, the craziest stuff. You know, Bitcoiners, people who are really interested in crypto, those might be people that jump all the way to the one end of the spectrum. Others might, you know, inch a little further. They might try it out. They might try different pieces, and it'll take some time for them to get all the way there. Um, but I, I think of Eco as a multi-decadal project that, if we are to truly reconsider how this financial system works and how it should how it should work and how it can be rebuilt from the ground up, it is not going to happen quickly. And we're okay with that. That was Andy Bromberg, CEO of ECO, speaking with journalist Ken Stone at a Vanguard Dialogue. The Dialogue is just one of the membership benefits of the Vanguard Network, which organizes events, publishes content, and connects C-suite leaders. Our mission is building high-performance leadership. If you'd like more information about us, please visit our website at thevanguardnetwork.com. I'm Irene Silber. Thanks for listening.